Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast, a weekly show about all things engineering, DIY projects, manufacturing, industry news, and CAD education. We're your hosts, electrical engineers, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 389. And this week, we have Joshua Manley of CAD Class joining us. Josh is the co-owner of CADclass.org, author and professor of computer-controlled machinery, currently working to light the spark of product innovation through exciting 3D CAD modeling and product development programs for students worldwide. He believes CAD is as important as code and is on a mission to become the world's most inspiring CAD program. So Josh, thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Looking forward to it. So Josh, let's first... Talk a little bit about you. How did you get involved in thinking? Actually, what was the starting point on why you think now CAD is as important as code? Oh, man, this is a winding journey. So, so that's the very end, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that, that's a huge question. But I so let me let me take you kind of back through my progression for how I got into this in the first place. It's quick. I won't I won't talk too much here. But I, it was I grew up in Ohio. I studied pharmacy in Ohio really got interested in the sciences, ended up moving to New York City and starting a science tutoring company and falling in love with uh, teaching skills in a way that wasn't the way they were taught in school. So I studied science, but if you study science in a school and you do it in a laboratory, they are very distinctly different things. So I was like, oh, this is interesting. What you do in a lab and what you do actually when it comes to teaching science are very different things. Maybe I can work with students to help them understand what that difference is. And about four years in, I just got this burning desire to make things with my hands. And it's hard to describe what it was. I didn't really have it growing up. I didn't grow up handy. Woodshop was already pulled out of schools. I didn't have a lot of hands on stuff growing up other than things I did with my father and my stepfather. So about four years in, I was just like, I want to work with my hands. So I eventually got an opportunity to move to Southern California and I got a position at a makerspace. So a makerspace is, is essentially like a gym where you rent, instead of renting the gym equipment and paying a membership to do that, you actually rent physical equipment. So you have wood shop, metal shop, welding equipment, laser cutters. I walked in the front door, took a tour of the facility, didn't have a job lined up and was like, this, this is what I've been looking for. I need to just throw myself at this opportunity. So I convinced through who knows what, I convinced the owner of the facility to hire me with teaching skills and no making skills with the promise that I would just figure this stuff out. So I spent six years at a place called Urban Workshop in Southern California, building a skill set in woodworking, metalworking, welding, lasers, 3D printers, all that kind of modern manufacturing equipment. And I worked my way up, ended up directing the program, and as I did it more and more, one of the skill sets that became apparent that people wanted to have, but there wasn't consistent access to was CAD skills, myself included. So as a woodworker, you may want to mock up what you've done and, and make a model before actually making the physical thing. As a, if, you, if you've been introduced to 3D printers, if you want to make your own custom thing on a printer, you need to know how to make a CAD model. Of course, you can print designs from online, but that's not quite as fun. So... I was working for, like I said, for six years there. And then I just started to recognize like, hey, this, this is kind of a fundamental skill set. And I, people would ask, how do we learn CAD modeling? And we had a three hour class on site. And then I would direct them to YouTube videos. I would direct them online. 
but they always had caveats. I'm like, oh, but you know, watch this guy, his first two videos, and then watch this other person, their two videos, and then you're gonna read this article, and then you're gonna go to the, the website. And it just felt silly. It's like, why doesn't, why doesn't this, why aren't we teaching CAD very well online? What's the problem here? And so uh, about a couple of years ago, I, uh, I had this idea in my head, and about a year ago, my business partner, Jake and I, who had also been teaching in the shop, just said, you know what, let's, try to sort out what it would look like to teach this stuff well. And we moved on from that workshop. I moved up to Sacramento. He's still down in Southern California. And we just said, screw it. Let's focus full time on trying to figure out how to do this better. Very cool. I'm interested, people coming to uh, Urban Workshop, you mentioned 3D printing and, and woodworking. Did they come with an idea already in mind and say, I just don't know how to create this, or I don't know how to draw this, or... What what's the steps that go between what's in my head and what's in reality? Uh, so, I mean, it, that's an in, insane question. So we had about 400 active members at any given time. And the reasons they were there were very different. So you had a certain cohort of people who already had engineering making skills who would walk in and go, I have this idea, this invention, this project, this thing. All I need is access to the equipment. Get out of my way. Give me the equipment and I'll make it. Right, So that's one class of people. But that was actually a really small class of people. The larger groups were kids. So parents understanding, hey, shop class got pulled out of schools, but that's still a valuable skill. Why aren't we teaching it? So we had youth programs there. So kids are one use case. Then we had a bunch of people that I would put them in the category of uh, experiential learning. It was just a skill set they were interested in acquiring. They wanted to know something more about it. They didn't quite have an idea about what they wanted to make, but they were super interested in, in learning the skill sets that we could provide. So they're, they're like, I think I want to learn metalworking, and they take metalworking. I think I want to learn CNC, and they take CNC. I think I want to, turn to la learn lasers, and they take lasers. And, and so you had this kind of exploratory, I've seen all these YouTubers, I've seen all these people building amazing projects, wouldn't it be cool if I too could do that? And they would take that first step with us and just kind of build their skill set from there. And then you have, I mean, an infinity of people in between that, but those are the broad skill sets. And then you'd have retirees that were very much looking for community. They're just like, ah, I kind of have, I've been woodworking for a long time. I've been building stuff for a little while, right? Why don't I find a place where I can focus on my hobby and maybe bump into other people that have similar skills and just kind of talk with them. So, so you had distinct cohorts of people, but the biggest was certainly experiential learning. Yeah, it's actually interesting that it's not really the people who are like, I want to build X, but I have no idea how to do it. Because that that's my experience when people come to, let's say, Macrofab, right? Yeah. When people come to us, it's they have no idea how to get to the end, but they have what the end in mind should be. This, that's what I would have expected. You definitely have those people, but I find... I mean, we can definitely get, we can dive into the details of prototype engineering because that's, that's a whole, that's a whole world I've got some interest in and I have a lot of respect for what you guys do and I understand the difficulties. But uh, yeah, I think often you'd have people come in with a, with an idea about what they wanted to do and absolutely zero sense about what it would take realistically to get there. So okay, you want to make a mold or a prototype, you want to make an electronic, do you, where are you and what you want to do? And so a lot of what I would do would be to chart out a path for ways that they could achieve that thing. So, hey, you want to go it alone? This is your two-year learning plan. And if, if you're willing to commit to a two-year learning plan, you're going to need to learn electronics and 
3D printing and then injection molding. And I would kind of walk them through that whole process. And if you're not willing to do that, then and I would chart out the other paths. Then either you hire somebody here that has that skill set that you need, or you consider a professional engineering organization that can handle all of the stuff that you just don't even have a clue of what it is that you're even asking me to do. And so I took on some smaller projects, but even then I had a hard time sorting out like, hey, expectation management was really the issue. What are you expecting is the outcome of this? And where are you now? And what's it going to take to get you there? Oh, yeah. No, no, that's totally what it is. Man- managing expectations. <laughs> it's, I mean, it was big time. And it was hard because, because people, again, I think the YouTube culture makes it so that you see what is possible. And it looks simple. And it looks straightforward. And the steps appear to be laid out before you but they're missing all these little gaps that a professional brings into it that you go, yeah, okay, of course you want a perfectly polished final product that works every time out of the box. And also, by the way, has a beautiful box, right? Uh, Of course you want that. And and you see it and you think it's a realistic thing that you can achieve. And man, I just didn't see a whole lot of that. I did see it a couple of times. I did see people willing to go through that process, but I didn't, yeah, it was tough. You know, I think some of the dangers also with the YouTube maker kind of community is that you get everything condensed down to 10 or 20 minutes and you don't see the 12 hours of work that goes into just setup or just calibrating the machine or just any of the other tasks involved in that. Or a lot of times you don't, it gets obfuscated that they went through four revisions to get to what they present as the final thing. Big time. And to expand on that, uh, the topic of this podcast, which is CAD software, the weeks or week of design that person did in CAD to <laughs> build the model that gets CNC'd or 3D printed out. Yeah. And, and oh man, I mean, from a CAD perspective, I can't tell you how many models I've gotten that they show you this monstrosity of a model. And they go, can you edit this? And and it's just like, absolutely not. I, no way. There's no way I can edit this model. Yeah, just start over. <laughs> yeah, like this is, a, and I see we we work with a lot of robotics teams, and and no, that's through no fault of the teams themselves. These kids are learning. A lot of them are pretty new. But you get these projects that come in, and the teams want to collaborate with each other, and yet it's a spaghetti monster of a CAD project, and you're like, there's no way. We don't know what's going on. We don't know what you did in this CAD model. So there's no way anybody else on your team is going to have a sense of that either. So yeah, absolutely <laughs> interesting. Hmm. So after after Urban Workshop, you started up CAD class. You kind of explained the motivation a little bit, but let's go a little bit deeper into that. I mean, the main idea was basically that, like I said before, so CAD class was, hey, there's this opportunity in... In education, when it comes to actually making things, it seems pretty unfilled. There's not a landscape that has a lot of stuff. I don't know how to learn it on my own. I can't find the resources necessary to get me over the hurdle of understanding this software. So, so the big motivation was, like I said before, the big motivation was just, why doesn't this kind of a thing exist? And then the actual nuts and bolts of it. So we filmed tutorials in CAD. And as we're filming tutorials in CAD, we're writing out the scripts to do it. And at the same time, we take the tutorials that we start to film with the experience that we had with actually physically making things and start to build out what we think might be a course that would get people over like a kind of like a semester long course in college. Like, what would it look like if we built out 
the best possible semester long course in college for people and anybody in the world could access it and do it anytime. So first was the video content. We filmed the video content. We learned lighting and sound and cameras and camera angles and film and all the editing software behind that thing. And that was on top of the skill set that we had gained in both CAD and in manufacturing. We built out those video tutorials. We actually launched that on Reddit going, well, we did the classic mistake when it comes to building things. We built it first and then we were like, hey, anybody interested in the thing we built? You know, classic error there. Uh, so we go on Reddit and we post a post and hey, we built this course and it's 28 projects. They're all step by step. Anybody interested in taking a Fusion 360 CAD course? And we had uh, so many responses from our post on Reddit, we had to turn the ad off. We got 30 people in an hour that wanted to take it. And we just were like, we have to turn this off. This is too much. We sent that cohort through our course. And at the same time, we started to realize, oh, video isn't enough. So we ran a cohort of people on Reddit through our course. And we started to take the video transcripts that we built and actually write scripts based on what you need to do in the lesson that you just watched. So we're like, I think video isn't quite enough. Wouldn't it be nice if we also had a PDF? And so you could reference both of those things as you're doing it. So we build the PDF. My business partner, Jake, has the genius idea that we should write a book, which is pure torture for anybody who's ever written one. It's complete torture. <laughs> He's like, we should write a book. We already have all the content, right? <laughs> Classic. You're like, oh yeah. And he somehow manages to, to convince me uh, that we should write this book. I'm like, oh yeah, actually we do have the content, right? And even though I know it's not this easy, I'm like, okay, forget it, right? So we film the video course, we write the scripts below them so that you can download a PDF and actually work through some of the PDF as you do it. And then we go, well, wouldn't it be nice if we also had a book, right? So <laughs> we go through the torture of actually writing a book. We have the book, we have the video scripts, and we start to realize though, like, oh, there's this other side of the course that we're not thinking about. And that's like, when you take a course in person, you wanna work with people individually, or you wanna, you wanna have like some kind of interaction with the people that you do. So we're building this course out, we're talking with the people on Reddit, we're starting to write the book, and we're recognizing like, there's this big missing component, and that's community. When you learn anything new, it's really nice to have a community of people who knows that thing that you know. So then we build a Discord server. We say, okay, we're gonna link the Discord server, so for example, the first project you build in CAD class is, a, is the Saturn V rocket. It's just the mock-up of the outer frame. You can put a rocket motor in there. You can 3D print it if you want. It's a fun place to start. So we're like, all right, we'll just direct people to a Discord server. So if you get stuck on the Saturn V rocket, you can go into the Saturn V rocket channel and go, hey, I'm stuck on this step of the Saturn V rocket. Can you help me? So then we go, okay, that community side of it is actually really interesting. And then there's the final piece of the puzzle, which is the live Zoom sessions. So we go, yeah, all of this gets us 85% of the way there, but the final 15 to 20%, it is really nice to have conversations with people where you go, okay, you worked through this project, you did it, now what? What are your questions? What are the kinds of things that you're thinking about? We have a lot of domain knowledge and domain expertise, but you don't necessarily have that expertise. So how can we help get you from where you are now to building the, the ideas that you actually have in your mind or you know, being able to turn you into a proficient CAD engineer if that's what you're after? So that was the final piece of the puzzle. And there's a lot, just like product development. I mean, that's exactly what we did for the course. It's like, well, let's try this. Throw that against the wall. Did that work? No, nope, it didn't stick. That didn't work so well. This project was a little hard. We missed this step. We explained something too quickly. We refilmed all the video content and we just kind of backed our way into what I'd call like, what I hope 
happens with most online courses is that it turns into this whole comprehensive kind of curriculum, space, community, everything necessary to, to do that. And, and yeah, and now we're all over the world. We're working with students from, from many countries and many areas. We've got a couple of live, live Zoom sessions every week and a lot of people on the Discord working through the problems, getting stuck on the things that they're doing and kind of going from there. It's really cool because that, that's the biggest problem I've had with online classes is either not having the, what I would call like the classroom experience, which is what your Discord is doing, which is collaborating with other students that are also most likely either stuck on the same thing or has gone through that themselves. And so you can leverage them. And also like the live Zoom sessions, which are office hours. Exactly. And that's something that's really missing from, it's like a lot of these online classes, you can shoot an email, but you know, you get a response maybe in 24 hours, but then by then you probably already banged your head on the wall for four and then finally figured it out. <laughs> and they don't respond for 12 hours. And you're, you're so annoyed that you didn't get the immediate response. Yeah. Like, ah, I just wanted to. Yeah. Totally. So I'm actually a little bit curious. I perhaps put you on the spot a little bit here. Do it. I'm curious what is your definition of CAD? Because CAD stands for computer-aided design, right? So MS Paint could be CAD. But you, you had mentioned Fusion 360, and there's plenty of other programs out there. So I'm, I'm curious what you mean by CAD. Yeah. Wow. That's a, that is putting me on the spot. That's a pretty deep definition. I'd say in the way that we're teaching it, we're focused on the 3D designs that you can physically make. So when I talk CAD, there, it has the caveat of me going, we're teaching CAD software that if you want to 3D print this, eventually you can. If you want to cut this out on a on a computer controlled machine, you can. If you want to make this out of wood, you can. It kind of the sort of CAD that opens the world of possibility of machining up. So definitely a subset of CAD. I think Google SketchUp is another great example of a CAD software that's not linked to machining. And then you you can branch these out ad nauseum to infinity. But I think at, at its most basic, what I'm really talking about is teaching people how to make 3D designs on a 2D screen that can be made. And that's not an all-encompassing definition of CAD. I think you could broaden it quite a bit from there, but that's the niche that we've chosen to focus on. And I think it's the one where when people start drafting, when, when you see sketches in notebooks and they're 3D and people are imagining making these things in the real world. And that's the bit of it that's the most interesting to us and it's the, it's the niche we focus on. But yeah, I mean, we're talking parametric CAD so we're talking very dimensionally driven CAD projects as opposed to sculpting and other programs that can make characters a little bit easier and you don't need to worry so much about dimensions and, and we're not trying to make 3D animated characters in uh, a computer space or a, or a video of some sort. But those are also perfectly viable. And I think if you learn any of the CAD worlds, they're all, they're all pretty much accessible via the same process. It's like, yeah, there's a set of tools. There's a way for me to push things and pull things and drag them and move them. There's a way for me to de de define dimensions or, and they're, and they're essentially all subset of the same thing. So I almost don't care how you get into it, but if you're ever interested in learning the, the CAD side, that is, I want to make this physical product in the world, then that's, that's where we put our niche. What is your typical demograph? Like how early are people getting into this? Cause when I, 
I was fortunate enough that my high school actually had a actually no, it's my middle school. My middle school actually had a CAD drafting class, basically. And so for four years, I got to take and learn like Autodesk 2000, which is compared to what we do now, which like Fusion is like really old school because uh, that was like a 2D drawing program. And if you wanted to do 3D, you had to draw in perspective, which was its own can of worms. But I did that when I was 13, 14 years old. Are people that young getting into these classes? Even younger, even younger. So one, I think one of the trends in CAD that's started to happen somewhat recently and probably actually because of 3D printing is it's broadened the type of person that believes they can learn this stuff. So historically speaking, I would say CAD like SolidWorks style CAD, where again, where you're hoping to make something in the physical world was very much limited to engineers. It was an engineering software, talk the engineering lingo. It was all engineer focused. And that over the past 10 to 15 years has changed dramatically. So I have worked with kids as young as seven to teach these skills. And a lot of times, like even, even Autodesk, right? Autodesk has a program called Tinkercad, which is all three-dimensional. So it's instead of starting with a sketch and pulling that sketch out into three dimensions, they just start with a three-dimensional object. So Tinkercad is very much aimed at a younger audience. And I just ran a program with the local museum called uh, the Museum of Science and Curiosity, where we taught kids eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 years old, how to design and 3D print their own rockets that they then launched with air in the backyard and then they were able to make modifications to them. So I think in the beginning of the program I was talking, I think I put CAD on the same category as code. I, I put it in the same realm, right? Your kids as young as five, six, seven years old can learn to code. So why can't they learn to model things in three dimensions? I, they can, it's just the, the teaching and the tools necessary to speak to those kids haven't historically existed. And now that they do exist, not enough people know that they exist and that you can incorporate them in a real and fun and interesting way. And you start very young. And I think, so that's on the young end of the spectrum. What I didn't expect when we first launched this was a number of retirees that were going to be interested in learning this stuff because they just bought a 3D printer or they just bought a CNC or they just bought their latest piece of equipment. They've been hungry to learn their entire lives. They've been sold the myth that CAD is something you do as an engineer, not as just a hobbyist, right? And they didn't touch it. And now they, our first cohort of people were like, wait a second, wh what is this? These are all like 65-year-old men with maker equipment in their garages. Like what... We thought we were going to be teaching kids and community college students and high school or whatever, right? And here we are teaching retirees from all over the world. So I would say three-dimensional modeling is, is for everybody. And you can start younger than you think. And dragging and dropping shapes is a great way to do it. And look, kids, like if you look at kids, one of the first games they often learn is here's a triangle and the shape of a triangle and like drop it through the hole You're already starting to learn that spatial reasoning. So why not incorporate some of these spatial reasoning concepts into these kids schooling from a much, much younger age. So what I will say is we call our program suitable for kids technologically savvy 12 and up. And that's not because you need technical, not really, you don't really need the technical skill, but you do need the discipline to be able to sit in front of a computer for long enough to wrestle around with the software long enough to actually learn it. And I would code is the same way. You're not going to learn to code if you have no no discipline in sitting down at the computer and going through the ifs and the thens and while loops over and over. Yeah, software's gotten really good, but it still requires the investment of time. You still have to put time in to get to what you're looking for. So I'm curious, 
Have you noticed that a lot of people just latch onto it and get it right away? Or is there a lot of, you know, do you have a, a significant people struggling with it? Because, you know, you were mentioning the software is it comes from an engineering world and a lot of it still has a little bit of the smell of engineering on it, even though they're trying to make it more accessible to people. So I'm curious what, uh, what you've noticed with that. It's all over the board. So the way we designed what we did, we said, what if we just focus on making projects that we want to make and we build our program around fun and interesting projects? I think too often CAD programs start from a, let's make a pulley, let's make a latch, let's make a gear, let's make a other engineering thing, right? So right from the get-go, your introduction to this stuff is boring. (laughs) It's not relevant to your life. It's not interesting, even for engineers. It's like, okay, fine, I made a gear. So (laughs) what now, right? And I'm not advocating against making gears. Eventually you'll get to that thing. But I think the single most important thing, and it's played out in what we do, is you have to make interesting projects. And they have to be relevant to your life. So the, the more interesting the project and the more relevant it is to you, I think the more likely it is you actually stick through and learn this stuff. And I would put that in any learning category. You learn what you're interested in and you spend a lot of time getting to know it. And so it's care to the stick for us. So we design skateboards and rings and props from movies and all kinds of things that we found interesting and made in the physical world and then actually did. That said, I would say... If you can get yourself interested enough and you have a real purpose for doing this, I see just about everybody succeed. If the reason that you want to do it is a little too shallow, it's not quite solidified in there, you're not willing to go through some of the ups and downs of what it takes to learn, just like auto, like any software that you learn, if you're going to learn Photoshop or Illustrator, these are annoying softwares to learn. And you have to spend weeks at, at the minimum, just to understand where all the buttons and menus and navigation things are to feel even comfortable in that universe. So the same exact thing applies for this. But again, I put it in the same categories as learning any other bit of software that's at least somewhat complex, completely doable. If you want to learn Photoshop because you're editing photos of a lion that you just took in Africa, you got the motivation to do it. You're, you're excited about it. You've got the experience. You've kind of driven that. So we see of the people that have the right motivation, most of them succeed. Of the people that come in and they're just kind of dabbling and they're interested, but they're peripherally interested and they don't have an exact project they want to build or kind of an end goal in mind and they're just playing the curiosity game, they tend to struggle a little bit. And then in terms of the actual progression in our class, it's tough in the beginning and we intentionally make it tougher until about halfway through when we've taught you the bulk of the skills and then there's this downhill slide that you get after learning those initial skills. So like learning to code, like learning manufacturing, like learning electronics and electronics engineering, it's really hard for a while until it clicks. And then it's so exciting because the world, you're like, oh, I can do, I could put this with this and this happens. You know, you get this burst of dopamine that just fuels you to continue doing these kinds of things. So hard in the beginning, focus on projects you really love doing. That'll give you the highest chance of success, but know that it is an uphill battle and there's going to be some, some people won't make it through. When you were talking about earlier about uh, you focus on parametric CAD, I joke as that's what's called bracket CAD. It's the CAD (laughs) you use to design physical things. And most time those end up, these for my projects end up being brackets of some sort. (laughs) Because that's, that's how you assemble stuff in the real world is you have brackets assemble everything. 
And uh, I do, I think that's awesome because growing up, I didn't see a lot of that for like modeling, like 3D modeling. It was mostly like using Lightwave, which was like designing stuff that would be in a movie or a video game, not actual physical stuff. Which is also awesome. I love the physical. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like do both. <laughs> like Definitely not. a. But yeah, I agree. With that. I guess when I was learning it, um, 3D printers weren't really a uh, achievable thing that a, a student could have or anyone could really have in their garage. So like modeling a, a bear, I guess, just didn't really like you go, oh, I can make it dance around on the screen. But it didn't really mean anything for me because I was more hands on. I wanted to build things. Bingo. It's like, I want to make something. <laughs> Bingo. How about dimensioning and tolerancing? Does that kind of come into play too? So I guess that's a little bit more of the classic engineer side of things, of you know actually identifying elements of the drawing and dimensioning them in, in a way that you can hand it to somebody and they also understand it. Oh, big time. So we, both, both Jake and I, who built this program, are makers. And so... We wanted to make sure that while the goal is to get you interested and excited in CAD and to teach you projects that are exciting, right next to that is to teach you real engineering principles. So we don't skimp on tolerances and dimensioning and all of our sketches are fully constrained and we add fillets and we talk about why we add the fillets and sometimes we add knurls if you're making a handle for something and you want to open it up, right? And we talk about all those engineering principles, but in the context of what you're actually doing so that it's like... You don't need to be an engineer to think like this. You just need to understand why it's done in the first place so that you can build it in your models. So we're, we're pretty obsessed with A, building models that you can make in the physical world and B, being able to either hand it off or talk about it in, in a way that if you were chatting with a manufacturer, you had enough knowledge to pull that off. And a lot of our students too will just buy a 3D printer and they're $170 for an Ender 3. It's really hard not to buy it at $170. So they'll just buy a 3D printer, have it next to them, print out a container with a screw cap and a knurl. And we, in, the, in that project that we run, you actually have to cut the screws or the threads of the screw back a little bit because plastic expands when you extrude it. So if you go to print something that screws together, it won't fit if you try to 3D print it in the way that you would design it if you were just thinking about it in CAD software. So we go, okay, this won't fit. Let's cut this thread a little bit. And oh, by the way, you can't just cut a thread in Fusion. You have to design your own tool in Fusion to cut the thread back a little bit so that when you print this out for real on your 3D printer, the screw mechanism actually works. And we have our students go and print that out. And now they're learning real engineering principles, right? They now know about not just about threads, but about tolerances when you print threads and specifically about tolerances when you're dealing with 3D printing. So, hey, the, all the processes are not going to be the same. So we, we're definitely keen to talk at a high level, but in such a way that's relatable to people in the real world. Yeah, I love that. That's really valuable because, you know, say some time down the line, someone who took your class gets an idea to create a widget or a gizmo and it's time to get out of the garage building it and it's time to go manufacture it somewhere. They at least have the the baseline of how to communicate properly or how to present information properly on a drawing. Yeah, 100%. And if they don't, at least they have the vocabulary to figure it out. Right. If you call up a manufacturer and they want, you're talking tolerances and you've never heard the word tolerance, then that's intimidating. And I think you're likely never to take your product to market. 
tolerance. Wait, nobody told me about tolerances. This is crazy. Right. But if you've at least heard it and played around with it. Yeah, exactly. It's like, let's arm people with the tools to, to solve these big problems in the world, to put their inventions out there, to just recognize you don't need to be an engineer to make things. And you don't need to be an engineer to be a product developer. You need to be curious and interested, have a real problem that you're trying to solve and then be willing to go through the process to do that. And I think that's the dream for us is these products that exist in the real world because students took our classes and feel empowered to go make stuff. Yeah, it's funny. You just said go through the process to get it done. That's the thing. I think most people have no idea what that process even is or even like what's the first step of the process. (laughs) Yeah, you're exactly right. And that's it. Yeah, it's another thing is one of the first steps can be modeling it in CAD. One of the first steps could also be cutting it out of cardboard. One of the first steps could also be drawing it up on a piece of paper. I love this style of thinking where there isn't one way to do things. There isn't one way to work through a, an iterative process and arrive at a conclusion. There are thousands of ways and wherever you start is probably fine. Just get started. Just do it, make it. If you can't make it out of cardboard, make it on paper. If you can't make it out of paper, draw it. If you can't draw it, whatever. And just go through that process and, and try to figure out where you physically are in your abilities and in your product development, how your mind works and just hack through it. It's an ugly, ugly product development world, but most people only see that final polished Apple box with a perfectly milled outer edged phone that you pull out and then you end up thinking that that was just a couple of steps. Whether or not the internet tells you otherwise, you're like, wow, this is a beautiful product. I should be able to do this, something this beautiful. And it's like, no, it's, it's messy. So wherever you happen to be, start there. It took 10,000 engineers to make that iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and 400,000 people worked on the Saturn V rocket, which is the first project we do in ours. And an, an estimated, right? Contractors, and they had to pull all these, it's 400,000 people. <laughs> Relax, <laughs> you're going to be just fine in your journey. So you mentioned Fusion 360. Is, that the, uh, is the majority of the work done in that software? Yeah, yeah. So we, uh, we do all of the work in Fusion 360. We learned on Fusion. It is uh, free for a year for hobbyists. There are some limitations there. There's a startup license that you can get for free if you're developing products. There's an education license that we can work with our students who are in schools with. And we just find it, it from our experience, it's not the only CAD software and certainly don't take our advice when it comes to picking your own CAD software. Uh, what I would recommend is you just learn something. So don't worry too much about the platform. But for us, we had our experience in Fusion. It had a nice combination of all of the different features and functionality that we wanted. It has the CAM side of it, so the computer-assisted manufacturing bit. So we could take our model, actually design the tool path, and then go back and cut it on the router. And so it had a nice combination of skill sets for us. It's pretty powerful. It's not the most professional CAD software out there, and it's not... It's definitely Swiss army knife of CAD. It does a lot of things and some of them well and some of them mediocre, but it does do a lot of things. And so it just happened to kind of solve our problems at the time. Uh, My business partner started in SolidWorks and I started in Fusion. So totally, this is not an endorsement, you know, where this just happens to be the software that, that we liked the functionality and the feature set of the most. And we focused our first round of, of classes on that. Fusion 360 is software that Steve and I use a lot for designing our, our bracketry. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, brackets are amazing, right? Like it's such a, brackets and hoses and fittings and connectors are an amazing reason to do this stuff. 
just before the podcast, I got a whole package full of end mills arriving because I've got some stuff to cut on the CNC tonight. So I've got a little bit of fusion work ahead of me tonight. What are you cutting out? Uh, I, I make speaker cabinets. Oh. And so I've got a whole CNC I built in the, in the basement. And now, now I get to have some fun because it's, it's finally there. It's finally operational. Have you seen any of the work being done by the 3D printed speaker community? I have. They're, they're incredible. Oh, it's amazing. Uh, so I have a small 3D printer here and, and having, I actually did a lot of 3D printed parts in building the CNC I had. And for people who've listened to the podcast for a long time, I've been skeptical about 3D printers because most of the time you see people printing toys and it just looks like yes cool you have a machine that makes toys and i feel like there's a little bit of a problem especially when it comes to social media and when it comes to like the youtube community because they present 3d printers as toy makers and on top of that it's like yeah sure you can make any toy you want and you make a kind of what looks like a subpar toy i could just go to the store and buy a toy that's 10 times better but as soon as i started making my cnc and i needed brackets and i needed wire holders and i needed all of these extra little things that i could just if i had it in my mind i could just develop it real quick crap it out on the 3d printer find out it wasn't good make another revision of it and have it done in a few hours like it's incredibly useful now bringing that back to the 3d printed speaker community, it's got me wanting to get a printer that's big enough to do that now. Because there's some of these printers I'm seeing, or some of these prints I'm seeing people do with speaker boxes, they're gigantic. And just, you know, having a printer large enough to be able to do that, it's got my mind going with like, oh, okay, these are the kinds of brackets I would be able to make if I had a printer that large. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I think uh, you said something that really reminded me about why we got into CAD and what role 3D printing plays in that. And so we're working, I'm teaching classes at this workshop in California, and I'm teaching 10-year-olds and up how to use the table saw every single day, all day. I think one of my claims to fame is I think I've probably taught more 10-year-olds how to use a table saw safely than anybody in the world. Don't know if that's true or not, but taught a lot of kids how to use a table saw and all the fingers are still there, and no, we didn't have a saw stop. But one of the things that turned exactly like what you said with 3D printing, so one of the things that turned my mind was I was using a very classic DeWalt table saw on wheels, DW745, something like this, and it has a dust collection port at the back, and I had the classic vacuum dust collector, and the two fittings didn't fit classic, right? Like the, the hose sizes are different. Why is that? Because no dust collection ever fits <sighs> with other dust collections. That's like a universal problem that exists. I think I think the companies do it on purpose. They're like, ah, you got to buy into our network of, I don't know. I wish I knew. This is They're like the same like thing that. with dongles, right? <laughs> the dust ecosystem. Oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> so, so I'm working on this thing and I've got the classic duct tape solution. So I've got a table saw and a miter saw. And I've got 20 kids. And I mean, we're jamming. I can't take time to, so I've got a, I'm duct taping this. Like I can't even believe I'm admitting this live, but I'm, I'm duct taping things together. And eventually I'm like, okay. This I'm getting spewed with dust. It's really annoying because the dust make the tape isn't usable once you and I'm having to switch between machines. I only have one dust collector and two machines, blah, blah, blah. So I go online and I go to buy an adapter. Easy enough, right? I'm I measure it with calipers. I take the dimensions of both fittings. I go online. I search it. I can't find it. I'm like, well, I can't tell if this one will work. Three and a half stars on Amazon. It's no clear pictures of the dimensions. 
I was like, I can't tell if this will work. Ah, screw it. Let me just order it and see what happens. I order it. It comes in. It's the wrong one. It doesn't fit. That's a frustrating thing, right? So the next day, I spent a couple of hours, two hours, searching for adapters. Like, what am I searching for adapters for two hours for? I search. I find another adapter. I'm like, all right, I think this is the one. I get it. It doesn't fit. This is annoying. This is so annoying. So finally, I'm like, I... I do the work, the thing that I feel like I should never do in my life, which is to buy anything universal. I'm like, screw it. This thing says it's universal. Let me just buy a universal adapter. I get it in, it doesn't fit. <laughs> I'm like, okay, forget it, right? Forget it. This isn't going to work. Let me just design my own. So I'm chatting with Jake, my business partner. I'm like, Jake, let, can you just mock me something up really quickly? I was running a program. I was really busy and I didn't have any time. to. He's like, sure, let me, let me do that. Five minutes two circles extruded with a connection between the two for the diameters that I had calipers on to measure. We 3D printed that day. I pop it on there, problem solved. And it was a real problem. I mean, I had dust spewed in my face. It was super annoying to do it. And that was the day that I go, oh, this isn't a toy if you treat it like a tool. This is something that's really powerful. So what I did is I took that adapter and I realized that adapter must exist but I can't find it. So the problem isn't that the adapter doesn't exist. It's that I can't find it. So I wrote an ad and I put it up on eBay for sale and I sold one that day for 20 bucks. This is 20 cents worth of filament. Like this took me 20 minutes to design. It's 20 cents worth of filament. That's interesting. Put another one up for sale and sold another one. In a couple of months, I'd sold enough adapters to scale up and buy two more 3D printers. And that was when I really like viscerally realized oh, this is no joke. This is a real tool to solve real problems. It won't solve all your problems. It's certainly not always the right tool for the job, but for some, like brackets and fittings and connectors, and I could go on and on. We have jigs for the table saw. We have all kinds of stuff we built on it, but for some, it is really amazing. So yeah, I'm super glad you mentioned that. That's what launched us into 3D printing. Then I ended up doing the math on well, if we scaled this operation, we could have 50 3D printers in a garage running 50% of the time, making roughly $2 an hour each, and that's a million dollar a year business out of a garage. Now, of course, there are many caveats there. Finding clients is hard. Who am I talking to? What am I actually selling? How much competition do I have? But that was where I think we started to go, wait a second, this is, this is serious. Yeah, you actually have to sell the things that it uh, spits out for it to be a million dollar a year company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, find clients, sell it. Like, oh, that's that part got yeah. hard. You know, this is an idea. I'm gonna toss this out there. This might even exist. Is a website where you can make like get custom adapters like that, but you just punch in the diameters and then like the length, and then parametrically models it for you, and you can just buy it, and then it gets printed and it gets shipped to your door. So we built that. There you go. And, and then we go, nah. <laughs> nah. <laughs> and we're like, oh, wow. Yeah, this is exactly where our head went. I think other people have, have thought that same way, right? But we're like, no, no, this is annoying because of tolerances and design features like you can, some of them can't be too deep they can't be too shallow it was clear that we're going to have to spend another year from going from parametric model to workable parametric model adapter system and it's just like nah. yeah some types in 4.5 inches and that's like a friction fit but they needed more of a 
a looser fit or something like that. And yeah, that'd be really hard to define because it might be you print it once and then you go, okay, that fits a little too tight. Let me back it off by, you know, 0.1 millimeter. And then now it fits perfect. That's exactly right. And then, oh, by the way, weather, humidity, right? Water. Are we going to print these out of PLA? Are we going to injection mold these things? What are we... What are we doing here? Yeah. So I actually went so far as to go to Home Depot and measure the dust collection ports of every piece of equipment they had and then just go, well, if we're selling these, maybe we should sell other adapters too. So that was iteration one prior to the parametric modeling. And we basically sold none of them. The only adapter that sold happened to be the adapter that I had designed (laughs) first. And so it gave me this false sense that there's a real market there. And I got out there and I was like, oh, no, there's not a market here. <laughs> this is no good. I love that scratching a niche and thinking that it's a rash everywhere. No, it's just a niche. <laughs> just that one. <laughs> just that one spot. <laughs> that's, that's really well put. Yeah, I could totally see with a system like that. You would just, it would be every day dealing with clients who gave you incorrect measurements and printing that and shipping it and just saying, yep, sorry. The measurements are off. Do it again. <laughs> Bingo. The customer service department swelled in my mind. The client acquisition channels were completely unclear. Where do you find these people? You can't focus on all of these communities. So you start with woodworking and grow from there. And also, there should be plenty of competitors. And one of those competitors is just free 3D printed stuff. So what's stopping somebody from just taking these models and popping them up on a 3D printing platform and everybody else just makes them. And so it was like, at the end of the day, it was fun. Yeah. Not so fun to pursue as a business. But you see, if they go to cadclass.org and take your class, (laughs) then yeah, you see, I'm turning it all around here. Then they can learn to do it themselves and figure out all of those issues. (laughs) Bingo. You guys get to suffer. So what we're teaching you is how to suffer (laughs) through solving problems. That's what it is. You're here. You have the problem. Yeah. We don't need that. <laughs> but in real life, like, yeah, actually, that is actually what we're teaching people is there's five or 10 rounds of iteration sometimes required. For sure. Yeah. And it's exactly what you were talking about earlier is I would say buying a inexpensive 3D printer is such an easy way to get into making anything like a desktop CNC. I, a Stevens is a way more beyond a desktop CNC, but a desktop CNC still costs way more than a $180 3D printer. Yeah. It just has baffled my brain of how inexpensive and accessible 3D printing has gotten over the past decade. I can't believe it. I truly, I, I look at the printer. I have one next to me. It's the original Ender 3. I upgraded it a little bit, but I must have printed 40,000 parts on this thing. Hmm. It's hard to believe that this sub $200 machine with some $20 plastic can do this. And I've and have been doing it for a while and I look and I still can't help but just stare at it mm-hmm. as it just builds the model up and goes. I completely agree with you. And I think my hope is that desktop wins in the next 10 years and that what you see are more desktop fab style areas where you have a desktop CNC, you've got a desktop laser, you've got a desktop water jet, right? A lot of these do exist. Wazers on the water jet market. Hopefully CNC plasma hits that too. But it's not such a far-fetched idea that in five, 10 years, you can build a shop for thirty, $40,000 and compete with anybody in the world. Mm-hmm. Even just building out, uh, iterating prototypes out is Big time. would be huge, huge when you're talking about like CNC or um, 
laser cut or anything like that, where if you could prototype out your, your projects much faster in iteration, there's a lot of services out there that enable you to do that as well. It's just the problem with the services is you have to wait the turnaround time for just shipping to get your stuff back. And that slows you down. It does. Yeah. And it's that every day and that it matters. It's another obstacle in the whole making manufacturing process. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's a really good point too. You don't have to scale the individual things that you make. You can hire somebody else out once you've solved all, or not all the problems, but like, you know, like most of the problems. There's something so valuable about pulling your print off of your 3D printer or off your CNC and immediately seeing what the problem is and immediately going and fixing it and immediately starting the next revision. Like that is unreal. Totally agree. How fast the cycle can be nowadays. I 100% agree. And it's what got us stuck on this whole thing in the first place. I need, I am a creature of feedback. I need my feedback and the faster I can have it, the better. And if I know whether or not this works and how silly my idea versus the execution was fast, I'm just much more likely to go through with solving that problem or building that thing or doing that. So I couldn't agree with you more. That instant feedback is, is critical. And I think for anybody getting into CAD, just buy a printer, just buy it, just do it. If it is CAD that you want to learn, that is the tool that brings it to life. And that was also one of the ahas for me is when I was teaching 10 year olds, if you open a computer in front of them and go, today, we're going to teach you how to make some CAD models. It's not that exciting. They don't want to, they came into a workshop to make things out of wood and metal and use lasers and all this fun stuff. And now we open a computer screen and tell them to look at it and design something in it. But the moment you put a 3D printer down in the classroom, you have it making a rocket. They walk in, they see that rocket and they translate, I can make that. And then you show them the software, you can't peel them away. Mm. You can't pull them away from the computer. They want to sit there the whole time making stuff. It's a transformative learning experience. I feel like I, I'll yell out into the ether about this kind of a thing. No, 3D printing is not right for everybody. Yes, it is completely right for people who want to have that tangibility and actually build that excitement, and especially kids, and heck, especially adults too. I spend a lot more time making 3D models when I can just print it on my printer sitting right next to me. Yeah, I love that. And just a little bit further on that, with that idea of looking at it the rocket or whatever it is and just saying like, I can make that. It's not only just, I can make that I can make what's in my head. And it's not a matter of just going to Thingiverse and click download and press print like an inkjet printer or something like that. No, it's like, I have this idea in my head and within a short period of time, I am holding it in my hands. We had one of our students, this is one of my favorite ideas ever. So we had one of our students, he was working through our program along with his son. And he and his son went to Chick-fil-A and he's sitting in the back of the car. He gets this sauce packet from Chick-fil-A and has the idea in his head. I need to make myself an articulating arm from the side of this car that sits in the little door handle and then articulates out and I can put my sauce in it so I can dip my nuggets. Oh, that's a brilliant idea. <laughs> that's amazing. I want that. Ridiculous. Now. Hilarious. So good. Completely cracked me up. And because they were working through our cat class, right? The dad was like, oh. Well, let's do it. Let's actually, let's make that. That sounds fantastic. His kid models it up, builds a little arm. He can't, a 10, 11 year old kid, right? Models it up, builds the arm. Dad helps a little bit. They 3D print this articulating arm with a, with a sauce packet that goes into it. And I get photos of the final product. You can't make this stuff up. Like, what the heck? An arm that pulls out that holds your sauce container? Just absolutely hysterical and also amazing. I love that. Like that kid has now, 
internalize the idea that if he has an idea, he can make it. Billion dollar idea right there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Chick-fil-A, if you're listening, reach out. Yeah. The sauce arm 3000. (laughs) I've got your billion dollar idea. (laughs) Josh, where can people find more about you? More about, uh, geez, I just blanked. CAD class. For some reason, I was like, CAD C. What was the C? Yeah, class, yeah. (laughs) I know it's a difficult name to remember. We uh, we picked a really tough domain name. It's like, no, it's uh, cadclass.org is the primary website. We recently published a book called Mastering Fusion 360. It is exactly the same topics and classes that we do in our online course. And then we also, if you visit cadclass.org and you click on book, uh, we give the ebook away for free. So the idea early on was if we're going to become the world's CAD teacher, this needs to be accessible to everybody at all levels. So we gave away our best content. We spent a year and a half building and writing this book and making step-by-step tutorials. And we give completely free access to that. So cadclass.org slash book, click on book at the top there and you can get that for free. Or we, we have a donation tab as well. And it was for people that have the means for it, they're, they're welcome to donate. But for people who can't otherwise afford it, they can grab the book for free. So cadclass.org, you can find us on YouTube at CADclass Online. We are filming a series of short uh, YouTube shorts associated with how to do little tips and tricks in Fusion 360 as well. And of course, create at cadclass.org. Feel free to reach out. You'll find that on the website too. But uh, we're just we're just excited to be working with people and teaching and growing and meeting people where they are and uh, we've got lots of options and offerings for folks at all all tiers. Well, very cool. Thank you so much for uh, coming on the uh, the podcast. <laughs> Thanks so much, guys. This has been a lot of fun. So that was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading our podcast. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Stephen and I know. Tweet us at X us now. <laughs> X us at Macrofab, at Longhorn Engineer, or at Analog ENG, or email us at podcast at macrofab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. You can find it at macrofab.com slash Slack.